Welcome. This is the podcast of the Capacity Building for European Capitals of Culture project, initiated by the European Commission. Here we will share insights, best practices and know-how from experts across different fields on topics relevant for the design and implementation of European Capitals of Culture. In the framework of the project, InterArts has organized a series of academy camps in collaboration with the delivery teams of Elefsina, Chemnitz, Pevsprimbolaton and Timishwar. In this episode number 25, we will hear from Mercedes Givenazzo, Director and Legal Representative of InterArts. My name is Mercedes Giovinazzo, and I am the director of InterArts based in Barcelona. The Capacity Building for European Capitals of Culture project was designed and implemented by a consortium of partners led by AEIDL in Brussels, InterArts in Barcelona, Culture Action Europe in Brussels, the Committee on Culture of United Cities and Local Governments, and the European Network on Cultural Management and Policy, ENCAT. What happened is that for the project in itself, InterArts also took over the project management. The project is an initiative by the Directorate General of Education and Culture of the European Commission to support capacity building and peer learning activities for European capitals of culture. From the starting point that indeed, since the European capitals of culture are one of the flagship projects of the European Commission, supporting the European capitals of culture was seen as a need, uh, something necessary to be done from the side of the European Commission. So they thought about how they could give further support to the European capitals of culture. And one of the things that they decided was to accompany them with a series of activities that could support the capacity building, the competences and skills needed by the European capitals of culture, but based actually on their real needs, on what they really thought themselves was necessary. So this project actually started with a mapping of these capacity building needs as expressed by the European Capitals of Culture delivery teams, the existing or the designated European Capitals of Culture, but also a thorough research was carried out regarding past European Capitals of Culture. So all in all, what uh, the consortium did was understand what was needed by the European Capitals of Culture draw a priority list of issues, themes, where these European capitals of culture expressed the need for capacity building. And that is what we worked from to provide a series of training possibilities, opportunities for the delivery teams of the designated European capitals of culture. We have called these training sessions Academy camps, 
And throughout the life of the project, which started in late 2019 and were finished in June 2022, what we did was organize five of these training sessions, five of these academy camps, each one of them delving into a very specific issue, as I have said, a need uh, as expressed by the European Capitals of Culture. Let me draw a parenthesis here. Of course, I have said uh, that we started the project late 2019. So you might understand that when finishing the first leg of the research, we were hit full thrust uh, by the pandemic. And we had to understand how we could achieve the delivery of the training programs in the confused situation of the first and second semester of 2020. So the first academy camps were delivered fully online. And finally, the third academy camp, we were able to deliver it in a hybrid format, in presence and online. So the first academy camp was on audience development and engagement, an important issue for the European capitals of culture. It was delivered for the Eleusis European capital of culture, Elefsina. Academy camp number two delved into the question of how can the digital support the development of a European capital of culture project? And it was done with and for Chemnitz. Academy camp number three was about the importance of imagining and doing international cultural cooperation from the side of the European capitals of culture. And we did it with and for Vesprem Balaton, European capital of culture. And the fourth academy camp was on the issue of community engagement, participation of communities with the European Capital of Culture Project, and with this fourth academy camp with and for Timisoara. I have said four times with and for, that we did with the academy camps with and for. And I want to underline this because for us, it was absolutely important not to be seen as the service provider towards a European capital of culture, but actually to enter into a partnership relationship with the European capitals of culture. So what we did was work hand in hand with the delivery team of the European capitals of culture that we were working with and hand in hand with the trainers. So it was actually teamwork throughout, imagining from the theme that had been identified, a program that would really serve the needs of the European capitals of culture. And that was done, again, as a team by us from the project side with the trainers and with the people working with the European capital of culture. The fifth and final academy camp was fully online and drew on the four previous academy camps. 
in a series of conversations to discuss and assess what were the lessons drawn from the different academy camps. So one-to-one conversations with the lead trainers and then conversations with the European capitals of culture or European capital of culture related projects, spin-offs, if you allow me the term. This was fully online because we considered that opening up to further participation beyond the delivery teams of the European capitals of culture was absolutely necessary and even beyond that given community. And indeed, the four first academy camps, online or hybrid, were also open to participation by other European capitals of culture than those with whom we were working directly. I would also want to thank both the European capitals of culture with whom we have had the pleasure and the privilege to work because it has been a very interesting experience. And I hope in the name you know, of the consortium that this experience has also been relevant and fruitful for them. And I would also want to thank the lead trainers and all the people, professionals, experts that have been involved in the academy camps because their input was extremely generous, of course, extremely high profile, and we cannot be thankful enough for them taking the time of working hand in hand with the European capitals of culture and their delivery teams. So this about the academy camps. We have also some spin-offs from the academy camps. That is all the material that was provided for the academy camps was made available and is available on the project website. There are a series of recordings of the training sessions, which are also made available. And last but not least, what I find an extremely interesting exercise, which is the production of a series of podcasts on the themes tackled within the academy camps with the different people, trainers or experts participating in the academy camps on specific questions dealing with each one of the items that that were tackled by the academy camps. And I think that the podcasts will offer a wealth of knowledge made available to the specialized public, but also to a more general public. And this, let me say, was an innovation of this project. You know that when you design a project, you submit a proposal to the funding authority And this proposal is usually what is then afterwards implemented in the uh, project lifecycle. However, in this specific case, and in the context of what we were actually living through, the very complex pandemic situation, we did make a slight change. Initially, in our proposal, we had suggested doing a series of webinars following up on the academy camps. but. During the conversations, when we were thinking of how to do this, and in particular, one conversation with Gianna Lia Colliandro, to whom I will be always grateful for this, 
she told me, Mercedes, why don't we do podcasts instead of webinars? And so, you know, we talked about this and we agreed that it was actually possibly something much more useful than the webinars at the stage where we were at. And we made the proposal. We submitted this change to the European Commission. And they said, yes, go ahead. So this is, you know, a little bit of the, uh, let's say, small talk story <laughs> of the uh, life of projects as they go on that sometimes, you know, you, you have to or you have the opportunity to change things as they go along. And um, this was the case. And I'm, I'm really very happy about the series of podcasts that exists. Finally, let me mention two things about this project. It has a library of documents that is also made available on the website, literature relevant to the European Capitals of Culture. And it also has a pool of experts that have been selected through an open application process to be part of a database of professionals to which the European Capitals of Culture might refer to if they need expertise in this or that field. Again, areas of competence that were identified from the very first start of the project, as I said, through the research and mapping. I do not want to speak as an expert on European capitals of culture, which I am not. Absolutely not. There are people that are much more versed and know much more about the European capitals of culture than I do. They have been on selection juries, committees, or because they have worked closely with one or the other of the European capitals of culture. The view that I have is from afar, and I really want to say this. What I've seen is from the trenches, but not close up, not at all. This has been a project that has had the aim to serve European capitals of culture. And from this basis, and with a very specific remit that the project had, one can see that there is a need to accompany the delivery teams in furthering their competencies on one or another of the areas of specialization that one might consider when talking about professionals in the cultural sector. From a very general perspective, my reading is that when we have approached a European capital of culture with the offer to provide a training program for the delivery teams, the response has been highly, highly positive. It was seen as something, as a gift. It was seen as, wow, you want to do this for us, with us. and. Uh, it was always extremely easy to start the conversation, to start the conversation saying, look, we are here to accompany you, to provide a training program for you. 
of course, it was free in the sense that, you know, we were not asking for money from the European capitals of culture. But still, when doing it, they had to put resources in terms of people and time in designing the program. And then when we did two academy camps that were in hybrid format, well, the European capitals of culture put the venue, put a certain number of services, et cetera. So something, you know, it did cost them a little bit. However, again, it was always with a lot of generosity and interest. Where I find that there might be some more work to do is that when you provide these training programs, you work with part of the team. And the big question remains, what happens afterwards? Does the work that you have done with these people make sense to them? The answer is yes, uh, from the responses that we have to the questions asked after, yes. But as a whole and within the European Capital of Culture system, universe, huh, will it make a difference? I guess that anyone who has taught, uh, has done training will say, you never see you know, the results ipso facto, you see them in time. Yes, of course, that is true and not to be discussed. But in the ecosystem of a one given capital, the big question is, will you have made a difference in the lifetime of that given European capital of culture, be it Elefsina, be it Vesprem, be it Chemnitz, or be it Timisoara? Um, so that big question remains. Also, another question I think is how to support in a more structured way the need for networking, exchanges, dialogue within the universe of the European capitals of culture? And should there be an accompanying, if not leading, role by the European Commission in the sense the European capitals of culture have their family meetings, and that is a very important step forward. But however, these projects, the European capital of culture as a project might not have to be standalone experiences, one-off projects, and that's it. There is a story to be told about the European capitals of culture. And I sometimes wonder how beyond the literature that is produced, and again, there are you know people that are very versed and experts in these issues. But I firmly believe that in the cultural sector, cooperating, exchanging, debating, discussing is fundamental to move forward. And yes, a European capital of culture uh, happens, is imagined, then developed, then implemented. Then there are some spin-offs. And that is an itinerary that is extremely interesting and, however, should not be lost in time. And the only way I can think that this might happen is by keeping alive the possibility of exchange and networking that might happen.
The first thing that I would want to say is that there was this first reaction. Culture is made available to everyone and through very different means. And it was a support measure to try to regain balance or imagine a balance in an extremely disruptive uh, situation when we were all confined within March, April, May of 2020. That was absolutely relevant. It confirms um, what to me is obvious and has always been obvious. Access to culture is fundamental. It's a universal individual human right, yes, as much as participating in culture is important. So it's about taking part, as as the uh, Article 27 says of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, taking part in cultural life. We are humans. our, Our species is made of social interactions, and it is about learning, knowledge, expression, you name it. It's what makes us different from the rest of the species on this planet Earth. We are conscious of our finite existence on this Earth, which makes us extremely vulnerable, but also extremely capable of, yes, surviving as a species in biological terms, but in advancing the species in cultural terms, uh, this idea of development, development for any human being, if understood as a growing process, is not possible without a cultural element to it. I don't see it any other way. Now, having said this, there are two things that I would like to underline. The first is that we thought or we were told to think that having everything, and I mean everything in this case, and not only culture, made available through digital means would solve all our problems during the pandemic and then afterwards. I think that is a big lie. I think that is uh, misleading. I think that is unhealthy. As I said earlier, we are not capable of not having human and social interactions. And yes, digital facilitates them, but it's not the only means and it cannot replace other means that are absolutely fundamental and consubstantial to us as human beings. So I think that was a big lie. But it was also a spin-off. I think that it was the last expression of a system of ideas that has made and done its time. By this, I refer to the last 20 years, give or take, during which we have been bombarded by an approach to culture which was mainly based on the belief that it could be supported only by its economic potential. The whole thing about the economy of culture, cultural industries, the creative and cultural sectors, etc., as 
the only justification for the sector existing. It was and has been about the contribution of culture to a GDP in economic terms, in monetary terms, in quantifiable terms. Well, no, I think that that is not the point and that this idea has, again, made its time, seen the end of it. And underlining so dramatically how the technology support, again, this economic deployment of culture, as was done last but not least during the pandemic, is possibly the last expression of a process that has, you know, covered these last 20 years. And we are coming out of this saying, well, there's more to this. Now, let's go back to what were the ideas and theories already developed during the 70s and 80s as regards culture and its multiple facets and possibilities of, again, making sense in people's lives beyond this merely economic vision of it. And we're talking about, and it's not me, there are people specialized in this that have dedicated years of research. It is about positioning culture in the system of governance and public policies as an element that has a value per se just as much as other sectors have, education, health, and acknowledging that culture is of public value, can be a public service, whether it is supported by uh, public money or private money, that is not the question. It is a conceptual question, I think, that we're tackling here. There is a public value of culture in and for society, in and for governance systems. And we must recognize this if we want to move away from understanding the world in which we live only as, you know, money-crunching systems that produce wealth. Uh, Well, yes and no. We've seen it with the pandemic. And we are seeing it right now with the economic regressions that were hit by. It's not that easy. And it's not a linear process of continuous development. No, it's not that. It's about ups and downs, two steps forwards and one backwards. And in this context, the only thing that I regret is the lack of capacity by and from the cultural sectors to structure itself enough in a way that it can make a difference in the political context and in the policymaking context and not being used and instrumentalized. And to close the circle, digital. Digital is a buzzword, just as many others uh, that we have heard in these, these last years. And I don't think that we're aware enough of the importance that actually culture has in political terms. And this I have said now and again during my professional life. If one looks backward in history, culture has always been instrumentalized for power reasons. 
And this is something that we do not acknowledge. If culture is instrumentalized as a resource for power, then we as cultural professionals should be less ambivalent as to using this potential of power for the benefit of the sector. The root of the word culture is the same as other terms, agriculture, whatever. It is about cultivating. It is about sowing and reaping. And it is about this continuous process of, I need to plant the seeds to then reap the fruits. And this is what is for me and what has always been relevant. It doesn't matter if you're listening to music reading poetry or reading a novel. I'm a fan of, you know, uh, Roman Noir. I love that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's about relating in a more constructive way to this deeply seated consciousness that we are a tiny speck in the universe and that culture is what makes us relate a little bit to this universe or makes us capable of managing our many contradictions, qualms, and problems in a more positive and constructive way. It's difficult for me to say we have come out, relatively come out of the pandemic I mean, I'm speaking from a European perspective, huh? and I think that is important to underline. We come out from this pandemic, or we're struggling to come out of this pandemic, and we have to face a dramatic economic situation, which was foreseeable. For heaven's sake, it was foreseeable. But however, we have to face it, and we have the war in Ukraine. It's not over. The, this crisis that has been brewing steadily for the past, what, almost 20 years has finally exploded and is finally taking shape. And I think that the biggest challenge is to try to imagine what society we want for the future. We have been privileged in Europe, very, very privileged if we look at other uh, world regions, and we are still extremely privileged. Uh, However, these privileges stem from an enormous effort done since uh, the late 18th century, but very, very clearly in the second half of the last century, the 20th century, to provide us with systems that ensure a framework of uh, rights and freedoms for everyone. Now, these rights and freedoms come with responsibilities. And I, have, I sometimes have the feeling that we have forgotten about our responsibilities here. Uh, we only see our rights and freedoms, um, and, but, but, but tend to forget our duties and res- responsibilities. If we want to come out of this turmoil with our head high, I think that each one of us individually has to regain consciousness as to our own duties as and responsibilities vis-a-vis 
everyone uh, with whom we are involved in proximity, but in a wider context of solidarity beyond our comfort zone, individual comfort zone. And this puts, I think, a lot of pressure on the young ones. Uh, we're an aging society here in Europe, and the young generations, um, and with this I mean people you know, starting uh, their professional lives right now, have very deep responsibility that I really hope that they will tackle with, uh, or take on, sorry, with, with generosity, as has already been done. Huh? This is, is, is nothing new. Earlier generations have been capable of doing this. Um, mine is on, on the out. Huh? I, I'm, I'm reaching an age when one starts to think, okay, you know, I'll move on to something else because uh, I'm, I'm old um, or, or getting older, sorry. But the young ones, the, those that are, you know, starting life, so to say, really, I think, must be conscious or make conscious if they still are not of this responsibility that they have and tackle it with generosity, energy and love and appreciation. Because I don't want to sound um, banal, but uh, we're here for a very short time. <laughs> and yes, we have to enjoy our time as long as it lasts. But we have this responsibility of not only as an animal species of guaranteeing the survival of the species, but as the human species, we have the responsibility to try to make things better for the ones that come after us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast of the Capacity Building for European Capitals of Culture Project initiated by the European Commission. We hope you enjoyed this final episode of our series. All episodes are available on the website capacitybuildingecox.eu.